This is the Marathon Training Academy podcast, episode 390. This podcast is brought to you by Ice Barrel. Ice Barrel is a cold therapy training tool that makes it easy to bring ice baths into your routine. Our listeners get $125 off so you can try Ice Barrel and see if you love it as much as we do. Go to icebarrel.com forward slash MTA. Again, that's icebarrel.com forward slash MTA and use the code MTA to get $125 off. Thanks also to our amazing sponsor, Inside Tracker. Created by leading scientists, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. And you can get 20% off their entire store over at insidetracker.com forward slash MTA. That's insidetracker.com forward slash MTA. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast. So great to have you. In this episode, we speak with ultra runner Dave Proctor, who ran across Canada from coast to coast in 67 days and broke the trans-Canadian record. Dave provides a unique look into the endurance mindset, which will help you get through whatever challenges you're facing. And don't forget, as an Academy member, you can get access to all of our back podcast episodes, training plans, and more, including our awesome online community. Find out how to join when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. All right, so fun to speak with Dave Proctor and hear about his amazing adventure running across Canada. So much to get into uh, in this conversation. Before we do that, we'd like to give some props to folks in our community who are out there just taking action in their health and life. So Angie, what do you have for us? We'd like to say congratulations to Hana in the Academy who said... Hamelina City Half Marathon in Finland is done. Happily, I came in fourth in my age group while my partner Arnie was fifth in his. I've been following Angie's training plan, of course. I'm glad it's working out. That's right. Congratulations, guys. And this comes from Anna in the Academy. She says, hello, Angie and Trevor. I've been a member since January of 2020. At the time, I'd never run a marathon before and was following another plan, trying to figure out fueling and hydration on my own. I found MTA just a couple of weeks before my first marathon in February of 2020. The Surf City Marathon was deferred, but I ran it solo as scheduled, and it was grueling having to carry everything I needed. I ran out of water, had leg cramps, intestinal distress, and dizziness. It took over five hours, but I did make it 26.2 miles. Listening to all the podcasts, some of them multiple times, I then ran Surf City in February of 2022 for my 60th birthday, and I finished with a time of 4.32. Recently, I just finished my second official marathon at the Jack and Jill Marathon in Washington State. My time was 4.32.35, and although I was hoping for a PR or BQ, it wasn't to be. The race was still amazing, although I did question my sanity after the 22nd mile. I promised myself that when I crossed the finish line, I could stop and all the discomfort would disappear. My favorite MTA episode is with David Clark. He said, quote, I don't want to run a marathon. I want to be that person who runs marathons. This is what I've clung to. I may be late to the party, but I'm here until the day I die. Well, thank you for sharing that. We're so glad to hear that your marathon improved over you know, the first one, which sounded kind of rough, not only because it was deferred, but just because of all the stuff you had to carry, you know, without aid stations being there and just sounded like it was a suffer fest. Definitely. Marathons are always a suffer fest, but we're definitely trying to help our, our members and clients and just all of you listening be able to run more effectively and conquer a marathon feeling strong. 
And we actually had quite a few um, Academy members and listeners who ran the Jack and Jill Marathon, including a couple of our coaches. And we'd heard from Coach Antonio. He said, I completed the Jack and Jill Marathon this morning. I had no PR ambitions, but I still managed a nine plus minute BQ. And it was only four minutes off my lifetime PR set back in April at Boston. Love it. Well, congrats to all of you out there taking action, and it's exciting to have the the fall racing season uh, start up soon. I know you'll really enjoy this conversation with Dave Proctor. He really provides just a, a look into the mindset and the mental tools needed to take on a massive endurance challenge like what he did. He's also like very vulnerable in this conversation, just sharing details about himself, his inner thought life, and probably one of the most, Angie, most vulnerable and kind of raw guests that we've had on the podcast in, in recent memory anyway. Yeah, I really appreciate him being so honest and digging deep because I think people are going to relate to it and it's going to help all of us um, as we face challenges in the future. Dave Proctor is a Canadian. He's 41, lives in Alberta, and of course he became the fastest person in history to run across Canada from coast to coast. That's 7,159 kilometers. He also holds various Canadian records for distances in uh, 24-hour, 48-hour, and 72-hour challenges, and he's a world record holder for the longest distance on a treadmill in 12 hours. He's the father of three and works as a sports massage therapist and a little bit of context, this was actually David's second attempt to run across Canada in 2018. Uh, he attempted to do it for charity, but had to drop out due to an injury somewhere in Manitoba, so he made it pretty far. Also, he's going to mention that he starts at the Terry Fox Monument. Uh, Terry Fox is a really important figure in Canadian lore, really, in Canadian running, but also for just for the whole country. Angie, um, real quick, who is Terry Fox? Well, Terry Fox was pretty much just an ordinary teenager Um, However, in 1976, he was 18, and he was involved in a car accident that left him with a sore right knee. And he started dealing with this knee pain, um, nagging knee pain. He went to the hospital, and he was diagnosed with osteosarcoma, which is a malignant bone tumor of the knee. Um, And so treatment for him involved an above-the-knee amputation of his right leg, and he had to undergo months of chemotherapy. Shortly before he had surgery for the amputation, Terry had received an article about Dick Trom, the first amputee to finish the New York City Marathon. And Terry was so inspired and challenged by Dick doing this undertaking that after he recovered from his surgery, he embarked on a 14-week marathon training plan. And he went on to finish the New York City Marathon in last place. People were cheering for him. Of course, it was very inspiring. And then he announced that he had bigger plans. He wanted to run across all of Canada to raise money for cancer research. And, you know, it was kind of a shock at the time because there wasn't really the prosthetics that we have now. So Terry started his trek. He called it the Marathon of Hope. It began in April of 1980 at the Atlantic Ocean in St. John's, Newfoundland. Unfortunately, he had to stop at day 153 due to his health, but by that time, he had raised $1.7 million. And Yeah, the media was following him. It yeah, was like a it huge was a story. It was. He was just so inspiring. And his health had deteriorated to the point, I believe he was having lung problems. And he realized that the nation of Canada and the world at large was about to see the consequences of the disease. And he really hoped that might lead to people, you know, giving more generously. So in the following months, he went through multiple bouts of chemotherapy. Unfortunately, the disease continued to spread. 
and he fell into a coma and died in June of 1981 at the age of 22. The government of Canada at the time ordered flags across the country lowered to half-staff, which was an unprecedented honor that was usually reserved for statesmen. So the Terry Fox Run is an annual one-day fundraiser for cancer research, goes on to this day, and it has raised over $800 million. So, you know, I don't think he probably ever realized what he would start and, you know, how many people he would inspire. All right, so a little history. A runner that all of us should know, Terry Fox of Canada. So David's going to describe his run, uh, starting at the Terry Fox Monument in Newfoundland and then running all the way to Victoria, British Columbia. Angie and I have traveled in Canada uh, quite a bit. I mean, there's still lots lots more we haven't seen. It's a huge country (laughs) and beautiful. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And then one more quick note. We actually lost the first uh, seven minutes of our conversation. Uh, Dave's computer started updating and boom, like the call was dropped and the recording was lost. But the best part of our conversation was preserved, especially the stuff around what he calls the vault, sort of his metaphor for what is allowed into the mind when he's out there running. Really good stuff. Just a master class, I think, in the endurance mindset, as you're going to hear. And before we play this conversation, real quick, uh, thanks to our sponsor, Athletic Greens, makers of AG1. Through the years, people have asked us, like, what supplements do you recommend for runners? That's right. And we wouldn't recommend something that we don't use and love personally and give it to our kids. And <laughs> that's right. Anyone who is feeling even slightly less energetic, we're like, have you had your athletic greens today? <laughs> now it's like the cure for everything. When the kids come to Angie, they know they're going to hear drink more water and take athletic greens. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, if you haven't given it a try, head over to athleticgreens.com forward slash MTA. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. Give it a try. See why we love it. A little one scoop a day. Or one packet if you're traveling. Yep. (laughs) Fills in those gaps. Athleticgreens.com forward slash MTA. All right, so for anyone listening, we had a little technical glitch and we had to restart, but David, you were talking about sort of a mind vault and it was just really fascinating, like this process that you've been going through between 2018 and this year of just rebuilding your philosophy and your mental game. So I'm wondering if you can just explain what that means and sort of dive deeper into that for our, our listeners. Yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what all of this means. It's only been two weeks now since um, I stopped running, you know, across Canada. I, I finished my run in Victoria. And so I'm still trying to, to process all of everything. But, you know, what I could tell you and your audience is that, you know, over the last four years, there's been a lot that's been uh, changing uh, over my life. There's been a lot of methods that I've gone about living my life through relationships, through, you know, understanding self-worth, confidence. Over the last decade or so, I've broken a number of Canadian ultra running records and won races and world records and on and so forth, you know, with what I had, with what I've come to understand, you know, I, I know about myself. But time and time again, you, you, you run and you get to a certain point and you're left with a really cold, hard truth when you start peeling back all the layers and then you're left with that. And you're left with mm. your deep. 
And I knew that over the last four years, since my failed attempt back in 2018, I had to peel all those layers back. And there have been a number of things in my life that have kind of burnt down. They've kind of gone away, a lot of relationships in my life um, that didn't serve me. Um, but also as well to the things that I created and I allowed in my life in order for those relationships to exist. So over the last four years, I've gone through a significant transition um, from even things like, you know, the relationship I've had with these uh, charities in Canada. And there's that question that givers need to understand their limits because takers don't have any. And that ultimately, ulti- yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's a big one. But ultimately, I allowed for those things to happen. And so it's been a really hard four years, but ultimately I feel stronger if I feel more capable. I feel a lot more confident, but more, more so than anything, I, I feel that there's this heightened sense of self-worth. And I really truly believe in the idea that your greatest fear in life could simply be because you become aware that you're not worthy of your own level of suffering. And if you're worthy of your own level of suffering, like running across Canada in 67 days, then you can do anything. But you have to burn down everything in order to get there. So do you feel like, um, I mean, a lot of people say, you know, long distance runners, what are you running from? And, and a lot of times we as runners are like, oh, you know, running is my therapy. So are you kind of saying like you let some of that stuff catch up with you and really had to start wrestling with a lot of things in your life that weren't serving you. Maybe we do certain things for ego reasons and there comes a point when it's just not to our best interest, to our thriving anymore. Is that kind of what you're talking about there? Well, I think that everybody has a different reason themselves. For me, one of my big issues that you know I've been dealing with all my life and I continue dealing with it as well too, is self-worth. You know, I alluded to it earlier. Um, there, there's a great book, um, Viktor Frankl ended up you know, writing Man's Search for Meaning. And I've read it three times and you always take something very different from that. And, and he has got a quote in there and he's, and, and I just alluded to it there that his greatest fear was that he was not, he would become aware that he wasn't worthy of his own level of suffering. Now we're talking about a man who, a psychologist who survived the Holocaust. I mean, you know, running a marathon, running across the country, it, it ain't the same, but you know, the moment that we don't feel worthy of whatever we're going through whatever that is, is the moment that you quit or you stop or you pull back or whatever that might be. And, you know, my level of of skill and talent within running and the level of purpose and training that I put forward got me so far, but it didn't get me any further. And so I had to work on allowing that level of self-worth become very abundantly clear to myself in order to transition from there to to here. And so it's an interesting thing, you know, back in 2018, I've always wanted to run across Canada. You know, I've, I've got the Canadian 24, 48, 72 hour records, but you know, the big record and the thing that I would, you know, I, I just was absolutely completely amazed with was this Trans-Canadian speed record, 72 days, 10 hours by Al Howie back in 1991. I mean, that's mind blowing, 100 kilometers a day for 72 days in a row, like that, how do you even conceptualize that? Right. But, you know, I wanted it. I wanted to do this, but I didn't believe that I was worthy of this goal. So mm-hmm. back in 2018, what did I do? I couldn't simply say, hey, I want this for myself because no person with a lack of self-worth would take something like that for themselves. So what did I do? I created a charity. I created Outrun Rare and I said, no, 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 no. This isn't about me. 
This is about families living with rare disease. And I, and I talked myself into it that no, 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 this isn't about me. So we, we, I can go and do this as long as this is about other people, you know, creating an you know, awareness for, for rare disease and, and, and fundraising and on and so forth. But, you know, that's kind of sidestepping. That's kind of cheating yourself, isn't it? You know, it's, it's not really coming and being truthful with, no, you know what? I'm, I'm totally worth this. You know, I've, I've always sat back and looked upon Olympic athletes that are simply at the Olympics simply because they want to be their best. I idolize them because they at least had the bravery to admit to the world that, no, no, this isn't about, you know, some more other, you know, reason or charity or, or anything. You know, this isn't for other people. I'm doing this for myself. And I've, I've never had the courage to go ahead and do that. And it took a lot for me to admit that and then, you know, tell friends and family. And I was thinking I'm going to get crucified for this. Then I didn't. And they actually thought it was kind of cool that I, I did that. And, I, you know, I was I was kind of blown away because I was waiting to be crucified. And that was, I think, the biggest transition for me. Um, in order to tackle this, take this on, and and ultimately, and we'll, we'll get to that, creating the vault that allowed for something like this to occur. So let's talk about the logistics of taking on something this massive. You said that the former record holder, Al Howie, did it in uh, 71 days? 72 days and 10 hours. So I, I needed to run more than 100 kilometers a day for 72 days in a row and not have a bad day. And even just saying that, you're like, really? You know, is that even possible? Because it's such on the on the high end of what the human body is capable of. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, logistically, let's let's go on about logistics first. I needed to develop a plan. Number one, I needed to be damn fit. Um, there's fit. There's really fit. There's ungodly fit, and then there's something else, right? Um, I was running 250 to 300 kilometers a week in order to be ready to do this. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. that ain't enough. Um, the first week was 735 kilometers and there's nothing you can do to prepare yourself for that outside of start. And then that fitness from the first week would build into the second week. And then the fitness from the second week would build into the third week. And believe it or not, you get fitter as you go along, you become kind of a cyborg out there. It's, it's, it's rather (laughs) cool, but you know, we'll, we'll jump into that in a second. And that's the fitness portion of it. And then the mental side of things, I developed a plan knowing what didn't work and what did work back in 2018. Um, I also worked alongside um, my running hero, uh, Pete Kostelnik, who has a Trans-American speed record, 42 days. Just think about that for a second. I believe it's one of the the greatest ultra running feats ever. Mm -hmm. And he gave me a lot of really great advice. But, you know, I developed a plan that I knew I would need to stay within my vault. I would need to stay within myself and I would need a, a group of people around me that I could truly trust w- with my life. And, and they needed to buy into the plan. They needed to understand that what, what this entailed and, and follow through. So when I was route running the 67 days, I did not take care of one logistics piece. I didn't even know where we were staying that night. I didn't know where we were getting dinner. I, I was treated like a toddler and that was a part of the plan. Yeah. Basically, they did absolutely everything. And when I woke up in the morning, breakfast was prepared in the hotel room. We stayed in hotels every every night. And I would do the similar routine, never veering off more than 1%. Um, I said never more than 1% per day. And I would get out on the road and I would just be responsible for running 105 kilometers. And when I got done, we had all these planned things that would come, you know, food, body care, 
you know, all those things. And so basically I would fall asleep while I was eating um, and in my Normatec recovery pants as well too. And my alarm would sound the next morning at four o'clock in the morning. I would do it all over again for 67 days in a row. So it was a plan that was created to keep me in my vault and to allow all the other troubles that could happen. Because believe me, you, there's, there's, there's problems that arise with planning and logistics. My crew chief, Lana Ray, my girlfriend, who's you know, brilliant at logistics. She says that she could never run across Canada, but I said, well, Hey, I could never plan a run across Canada. So took <laughs> care of all of that. And, you know, I didn't ever come to question that everything wouldn't be 110% perfect. And it always was, um, that she put everything in place and she kept all the crew members who flew out at different times across Canada. We had eight different crew members flying out and flying away in order for them to know exactly what I needed, how I needed it, when I needed it and where I needed it at all times to add to that little bit as well too. all those crew members, those eight different crew members that flew out because Canada's 7,159 kilometers, it's a long time. I knew that every crew member, when they flew out, they would be really excited and want to jump in and, and be really eager to, to kind of take on this big task. But then come seven days, 10 days later, they're going to want to get the hell out of there because dealing with Dave, the toddler, um, and uh-huh. having basically drive up a highway, wait for me to come by and eat food and drink water. It gets pretty old, pretty tiring, pretty quick. And they wanted to get out. And then the next crew member who would come in would just be so eager and then they would get exhausted again and we get them out of here. And then the next guy is super eager. And then, so it's, it's this reoccurring, you know, thing that happens, but it was all a part, a part of the plan. I knew that people would get exhausted, but I knew that they would be also super excited to begin with. So did your crew have a van or like a camper or RV to follow you? An SUV. Um, I, I didn't want too many comforts. I didn't want a bed. And I also didn't want the vehicle around me. So um, I know most people seem to think that a crew vehicle is driving behind you at all times. I didn't want to see that vehicle because that vehicle brings comfort. There's food, there's drink, Mm -hmm. there's a cooler full of cold drinks. And there are a thousand reasons to just stop a little bit too often. So I, that crew, crew vehicle, when they dropped me off in the morning at where we, where we marked, you know, the end of the previous day, both mechanically with putting a stake into the ground and also with dropping a pin with Google maps, I would always start about. 50 meters or so on the opposite side, just to make sure I covered the entire country. And then they would drive up ahead 20 kilometers. So for the next two plus hours, I would be on my own and I had to get there. Mm. And so then they pop the trunk and, you know, they would shoot me out pretty quick within five minutes. And I would just grab new bottles, new food and get me going. And I would see the crew vehicle 20 kilometers, 40 kilometers into the day, 50 kilometers, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, and then, and then 105 kilometers. And that's all I would see them. Mm. It was an efficiency model because I knew that ever since starting in St. John's on May 15th at 519 in the morning, the clock was always running. And so the more time that I was sitting around kind of wasting time at the vehicle Mm. was less time that I had for uh, looking after myself, for body care at the end of the day, for eating food and for ultimately sleeping, which is the ultimate recovery tool. Yeah. Plus probably the longer it took you to get your 105 kilometers in, the day is getting warmer and it just gets more uncomfortable to be out there on the pavement. <laughs> no question. Absolutely. The best part of the day to run was always the morning because the tra- transport vehicles and all the vehicles were not out. 
the sunrise was coming up to your back. It was quite peaceful. I would play, listen to classical music and just calm myself. Uh, keep that pace nice and low. Stay within yourself. Don't let ego take over. But at the end of the day, with the heat and the amount of vehicles on, on the highway, the sound of the vehicles traveling by, sometimes traveling way too close, and it got pretty sketchy at times. Um, it got pretty stressful, and I, it did break me a few times, I have to admit. Hmm. Yeah, I've heard from people that have run across the U.S. Um, people can just be downright rude and dangerous uh, coming by on the highway and trying to get as close as, as they can to you or not even noticing you're there. And yeah, I guess I could say this now, you know, I, if I knew what I know now, I wouldn't do it again. Um, because it was mm. that mm. risky. There was a side view mirror that hit my elbow. That's not cool. Wow. Um, I got three kids, <laughs> you know, like there's goals and goal setting and then there's survival. And so, mm -hmm. but on the other hand, I don't think that there was ever one time during the entire 67 days where somebody intentionally came towards me. Canadians are more polite than Americans, I think. Yeah. <laughs> ah, no, but I think that there are a lot of people that are on their cell phones. Um, Canadians are probably just as bad as Americans with being distracted and, you know, their, their notifications going off. I mean, it's, it's just what happens. Um, it's, you know, the, the shoulders are only so wide. If I went for a run for an hour on the highway right now, I would think it's quite a, a healthy, safe thing, right? But it's the law of averages. If I'm running, running 12 to 13 hours a day for 67 days in a row, you're going to have run-ins. And it's the way it is. Um, I feel bad for cyclists because they don't really have anywhere to go outside of these roads. And unfortunately, on the on the news all the time, you hear of, of cyclists dying and getting hit by vehicles. Now I understand why. Mm. So I've got my map of Canada open here on Google Maps. Let's talk about the route. Now, it's the second largest country by landmass in the world. I think I was up in Alberta one year. We were driving back from Alaska, and I was talking to somebody up there, and they're like, yeah, there's only 30 million Canadians, and there's 300 million people in the U.S., so get all this landmass and all this infrastructure for only 30 million taxpayers to maintain. Exactly, and this is exactly why not a lot of people live too much further north of the Trans-Canada Highway, which yeah. I basically ran. So, you know, there were some major centers I came running through. Of course, I didn't run through Toronto. I mean, that's a dip down uh, south from the Trans-Canada Highway. But, you know, the, the the way that Canada is kind of, you know, looks like when you kind of run from east to west is, and I think the thing that most people forget is the sheer size of Newfoundland and Labrador. So Newfoundland, yeah. I forget what the stat is again, but it's one of the largest islands in the world. And it took me nine days to run across. It was 905 kilometers from St. John's wow. all the way to the Port of Basque Ferry. And believe it or not, it's way hillier than anybody thinks. Um, you know, in fact, I think it was harder to run across that than it was the Canadian Rockies, just because wow. the, the the pitch on the highways and how it's basically a big rock. It's kind of like Ireland, but, you know, huh. it's a miniature Ireland. It's, it's huge. And so I've always believed that when you run like you know, across a country, you know, and even Pete Kostelnik will, will tell you, problems always take place on the takeoff. During the first weeks, it, that's where all everything kind of unravels. If you said, okay, go and run, you know, 735 kilometers in one week, ooh, it's going to be hard to really evade injury and trouble. As well, too, your body is yelling and screaming, stop, stop, stop. What are you doing? You should stop. Mm. You should stop. I mean, you know, the evolutionary way that we have survived, you know, it's, you know, choosing survival over reward. It's telling you, hey, you need to survive. Stop. Mm -hmm. Right. So every single thing is going to come in and make you stop. So Newfoundland was tough. 
that was a tough island to get through, but I got through it in nine days. And then you took the overnight ferry from Port of Basque down to um, the northern tip of, of Nova Scotia. And it took me four days to run across Nova Scotia. Um, that was running 105 kilometers a day. And that was my goal, was 105. I got across you know, through Nova Scotia and, and entered into the New Brunswick um, border. And, and you know, New Brunswick, again, was just as beautiful as, as Nova Scotia. The maritime provinces in, in Canada are stunning. Um, but again, the hills are there are, are substantial. And, you know, it took me, I think, five days to get across New Brunswick. And I came down and I ran into Quebec um, along the St. Lawrence Seaway. And that's where all the human history is in, in Canada, is you had all the settlers that came into Canada, all the Europeans, and they came down the, the, the seaway and they settled. So you had all these old, old Catholic towns, which is just beautiful along the St. Lawrence Seaway. There's whales. That come. It's basically like a river, but there's whales for crying out loud. It's so, so rad. <laughs> and so we ran down that for the longest time. And then I, I went a little bit north of, of Montreal because I, I want to avoid big cities whenever, wherever possible. I crossed uh, into the Ontario border and this is where the real mental battle took place was all of Ontario. So it took me over 20, it took me 20 days to run across Ontario. So that's a province. That's like, that's like a wow. state right? In America. So imagine running 105 kilometers. In fact, I picked it up to 107 kilometers halfway because I felt like I wasn't doing my very best at 105 kilometers. And it took you 20 days to run across Ontario. And there was even one period where I was running north. I wasn't running west. I was running north to get around Lake Superior. I mean, that's a monster, monster lake. But the crazy thing is the Canadian Shield. Right. So you end up basically having this this rocky landmass that, to be honest with you, was maybe even harder than running the Canadian Rockies again. Um, I mean, over the entirety of Canada, I think I ran 48,000 meters. That's over five Mount Everest. Like it's a lot hillier of a country than 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 people think. And so the northern Ontario mentally was exhausting because you've run so far, but you're nowhere close to being done yet because you have the entire Western mm. Canada to run. And it was just remote, you know, every hundred miles or so, there was a town that said there were a thousand people that lived there. There wasn't a thousand people that lived there. There were no amenities. There were no restaurants. There was, it was just like, you were in the middle of nowhere and I saw way more moose than I saw people. Yeah. And so then you end up crossing from the Ontario border into Manitoba and that's where, you know, the hundredth meridian is. And so basically you have this massive, you know, rocky treed area where nothing grows and there's a direct line where now everything grows there's potato fields there's corn fields it's crazy and then it's dead flat for you know two provinces manitoba and saskatchewan <laughs> and you're running dead flat until you get to alberta the rolling hills start then you have the majestic canadian rockies i ran through you know calgary my hometown which was nuts uh with only about nine or ten days left to go and that was kind of amazing to wow. see restaurants that I, you know, my workplace was only like five kilometers away. Um, but <laughs> knowing very well, okay, I'm probably going to break the Trans-Canadian speed record, but I still have like nine days left to go. And those really big, big, big mountains you can see in the distance. And then you run the Canadian Rockies and you get through those. You drop down the Coquihalla Highway into Hope. That's the final descent. It's like, I don't know, what was that? 25 mile descent which just destroyed my quads. I mean, you've already been running for like 65 days. Like, what, you know. And then you run through Vancouver, which was so dangerous. Um, vehicles do not look out for runners on the road because there's nobody who runs those roads. 
Mm-hmm. And took the ferry, and then I only ran 34 kilometers to get into Victoria at mile zero, 67 days, 10 hours, and I think 27 minutes hmm. wow. to break the Trans-Canadian speed record by five days, which was super awesome to finish. I, I was really awesome to feel that I don't need to run tomorrow. <laughs> that was one of our questions. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. I'm sure that was like, wow, I don't have to be anywhere. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> right. You get to start right. processing like everything yeah. that you went through. Well, and that was part of the thing, right? It's like, okay, so, you know, I, I really, really wanted this to get done. I really wanted to finish this run and be like, okay, there are things I want to do in life. And then there are things that I need to do in life. And I've been for the last over two months having to do all the things I need to do. You know what I want to do is I want to sleep in and I want to drink a coffee and maybe a second one. You know, I want to have a shower. I want to shave my beard that I didn't, you know, shave for the last 67 days. All those things, right? But then on the other hand, you know, you don't really want it to ever end. Because I've never before, and I don't believe I ever will ever feel as confident and powerful and capable and strong and beautiful as I felt when I was out there. As much as you say, damn, this this hurts so bad. You also understand that you'll never feel as alive as I felt out there. I never will feel that much more alive ever in my life. Hmm. So as much as you want this to end, you, you kind of don't at the same time. There's kind of like that psychological letdown that you have to go through yeah. after <laughs> no doubt. such a huge journey. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this conversation thus far. Big thanks to our new sponsor, Ice Barrel. Ice Barrel is a cold therapy training tool that makes it easy to bring ice baths into your routine. So like the name implies, Ice Barrel is a portable lightweight barrel. You're able to sit in it and just float there and it drains easy. It's made in the U.S. and it's made out of 100% recycled material. Now, I got to tell you, when they reached out to us to uh, work with the podcast, Angie was so excited because she's been, you know, a proponent of ice baths. Now, me, I am like a cold water chicken like i <laughs> i hate cold water like angie can tell you we literally had to like question his manhood to get him to get in it <laughs> yeah we get this thing and like it's really exciting you know comes out of a truck and um, we fill it with water and ice and angie's sister's over and like just went for it she's a tough lady and then angie gets in and they're like okay trevor now you got to do it and i'm like i'm just here making a video like i'm not <laughs> but yeah after the ladies teased me enough about being such a baby i got in it i don't think i've ever felt something similar to doing that it's like it's almost like a high that you get. That's the only way I can describe it. And pretty soon your body starts warming itself up, even though you're in this freezing water and you get out and, and it's like you've been born again. I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> it's better than afternoon coffee. <laughs> yeah. It really wakes your mind up. Angie, you've been a long time believer in cold therapy. There is tons of studies about cold therapy, including improved mood and brain function, uh, reduces inflammation, improves your heart rate variability. Of course, we could go on and on about all the benefits. <laughs> but yeah, they make it really easy to uh, take a plunge into ice for recovery. And ours sits right outside off our deck. And we fill it with our hose, dump the ice in, and boom, it's ready to go. It has a nice lid and cover. That's right. And they offer 100% satisfaction, 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you head over to icebarrel.com, com slash MTA and use the code MTA, you get $125 off. Again, that's icebarrel.com slash MTA and use the code MTA to save $125. Thanks also to our sponsor, Inside Tracker. 
If you haven't had a blood test in a while, they make it so easy and convenient. You sign up for one of their plans. They will send a technician uh, to your house. You can get your blood drawn or go into a, a lab locally where you live. They will analyze it and then give you back all this great data so you'll see exactly where your different biomarkers are and what's going on on the inside. That's right. And you can get a daily action plan that has personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, supplements for your body. And when you connect Inside Tracker with your Fitbit or your Garmin, you'll also unlock real-time recovery pro tips after you complete your workout. So they say it's kind of like having a trainer and nutritionist in your pocket. So for a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com/mta. That's insidetracker.com/mta. So I, I saw pictures of, you know, you during your journey and you were wearing a cowboy hat every day. Do you feel like that gave you a psychological edge? I mean, obviously it's good probably for keeping the sun off. What led you to wear that hat? Yeah. So I've been running, you know, I've been wearing the cowboy hat for many, many years. I first found a cowboy hat in a, you know, Budweiser 24 pack and I put it on for a race because it's like, there's nothing better than keeping the sun off and the rain, the hail and all those things. Like it protects you. It really does. I mean, anybody who works in a field all day, every day, it's a working person's hat. And, and it's over the years with wearing it, you end up putting this hat on and it in a way kind of transforms you. It's like the power suit, right? Where it's the, mm. the costume. The person who's not outgoing puts on a clown costume and then they are insanely outgoing. It transforms you. <laughs> and so I would start every day and put my cowboy hat on and immediately transform into a guy that you don't mess with. You know, mm. a really, really tough character who is unshakable who always does what they say they're going to do, who will go to the ends of the earth for their values and for, for, for their purpose. Yeah, I know it sounds odd, but there is a transport that takes place when yeah. you put on, yeah, those shorts or those socks or those shoes or those, and my hat, you know, I'm just a tough son of a gun. In my regular life, I'm pretty soft. I'm a guy who cries around his children and I have all these emotions and concerns and fears and worries. When I'm out there running, I, I, I don't have those things. Those things are outside of my vault. They're not allowed to take precedence inside that vault. Yeah, psychologists talk about enclosed cognition. So I, I totally hear what you're saying. Mm -hmm. During the 67 days, uh, David, did it ever look like things were kind of sketchy, kind of touch and go, whether or not you would be able to continue? Were there any really low moments that you were afraid you had to maybe pull the plug on the adventure? Mm, no. And I know that sounds strange because that was a part of the vault was it was never a question. Um, you wouldn't allow any type of negative thinking of, you know, is this possible? There were, there were many moments where I, you know, I didn't say, oh my goodness, can I continue going on? There were moments where I said, oh my goodness, this is getting to be pretty hard. But there was never ever once where I questioned, will I get up and, and get out of bed this morning? Or there were there were moments with, you know, there was on day 40, day 41, I was up in Northern Ontario and my crew member, Matt Shepard, was running with me. And he's just this super energetic guy, just a great runner. And he said, oh my God, look at that over there. And as we were running on this overpass with this really sketchy, it's hard to explain, but that's the last thing I remember. I've ended up falling and hitting my head and, and I lost consciousness. Mm. Um, and oh, in fact, on Instagram, you can go back and look, there's this blood pouring from my face and I look, I look like a real tough cowboy. 
you know? <laughs> and, and I didn't really, I didn't mention on, on Instagram that day that I lost consciousness because I knew my children and my mother were following and I didn't want to, you know, concern anybody, but you know, that's a, that's a concussion. Um, now you're post concussion. Yeah. And so I knew that I'm going to have to take a couple extra hours to get through today to manage and monitor myself while I was running. And if anything were to go pear-shaped, I knew I was breaking the record by five days at that point, and I could give up a day. But throughout the rest of the run, there was never really an indication that I was in trouble. So, you know, I was able to proceed. Um, I, at that point, I, w- I moved my runs up from 105 to 107 kilometers. I got through 105 that day. Mm-hmm. And I called it quits because I was concerned. Um, but I woke up the next morning, um, after Matt kept waking me up overnight and I was cool. Um, outside of having, I was highly, highly irritable for the remain for probably the remaining of the trip. Um, vehicles, the sound would really get to me Mm. and as well too, if anybody said anything or I seemed to snap at them, but so I had to constantly keep myself in check, understanding that Dave, you had a complex concussion and now you're recovering and your limbic system is that of like a five-year-old, you're going to have temper tantrums. So understand this is what, what's happening, but you're, you're not in trouble and don't convince yourself that you are and you're okay to continue. Hmm. So I'm sure it was a challenge to eat enough calories. Was there any food that was like a default, like, I don't know, Tim Hortons or something? Yeah, big time. I love the Canadian references. Yeah. This, is, this is awesome. In fact, you know, it's there was a lot of Tim Hortons. And Tim Hortons has, in fact, reached out to me since. And we we're like, hey, we're, we're sending you a package. So we're, I'm getting a package just this week. Oh, that's and awesome. I think that's nice. that's going to be really cool. Um, baked goods, like any type of baked goods, especially good, like good baked goods, like, you know, like these small town bakeries that are well known for their lemon loaf and their cinnamon buns and their, I, I know you guys are getting hungry right now. It's just me saying all this <laughs> because who doesn't love like baked goods. And so my crew, you know, they were instructed to go and assess out all the bakeries and drive up ahead and go get those fresh baked goods in the morning and present me with those. And right when you see them, you know, you have to understand there's very little comfort out there uh, when you're running all day, every day. But when there's a warm cinnamon roll from like, you know, a bakery in Quebec with like an 80 year old woman who's been doing these cinnamon rolls and perfected this all of her life. Like that's a little piece of heaven. I don't care who you are. That's <laughs> beautiful. And so I, I eat a lot of bakery items. You know, my goal was to get 9000 calories of food in a day. I think I was successful early on. But then after a while, you're, you get sick and, so sick and tired of eating. So it's probably close to 7,000 calories of food a day. But, you know, I I do believe that multi-day racing and multi-week and multi-month, I guess now, is more of an eating contest than it is a running contest. You know, you have to be better at eating and and processing foods and, and, and have that gastric emptying, which you can train. You have to be able to take in a tremendous amount of foods and for it to move quickly through your system and be able to deliver your body what it needs necessarily to get through what you're getting through. It's more of an eating contest than a running contest because any ultra marathoner that I've ever talked to, whenever they're they're shutting down, it's simply because they can't or don't want to ingest any more food and or it comes back up again. And so in my training for years and years and years, I've focused on taking in foods that aren't necessarily easy to digest. But once you're able to digest those foods, then you can end up taking on something a little bit more difficult. And you know, my capillary growth all around my digestive tissues and my gut, I would consider to be quite quite healthy and strong. 
that the gastric emptying is pretty quick. Wow. So I know people are are wondering, I mean, I'm thinking about this, the gastric emptying. So, you know, there's not a ton of bathrooms or rest stops as you're running. How did you handle that? I mean, did you just kind of like go off the road and squat and hope for the best that there weren't a bunch of looky-loos there? Uh, well, and there, unfortunately, there were areas where through the Prairie Provinces, I would like to apologize to any of the minivans that drove by with the children that they didn't need to see that. I'm so sorry. I did my best <laughs> to hide. Uh, we had a, a system, but you know, the vehicle would be in the way you open the doors. I mean, I mean, everybody's mm-hmm. done a road trip does this. Ultimately, you become, how do you say this nicely? You become a human cheese factory. Whatever's in moves out pretty quick, and it's alarming just how often you need to go. You you try to look for really nice. Whenever you see an area, you're like, oh, I don't even need to go yet, but I should go there. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> that's a good spot. You know, you've been, you know you, it's funny when you're running by these areas and you, there's a tree that you could hold on to, and then there's a heavy foliage bush. You're like, oh, that's a good spot. It's funny that that becomes what, you know, really kind of turns your crank out there. That's what you start yeah. paying attention to. Before driving, you you never pay attention to these things, but these are the things that really motivated me. <laughs> so Canada is so huge, so vast, uh, beautiful. Did you have any favorite sections? Oh, absolutely. I mean, every province had its complete magnificent beauty, right? Everybody always says, oh, Saskatchewan, Manitoba aren't beautiful. If you've ever run in during the sunrise through the canola fields, that beautiful, beautiful yellow, that could even be my most favorite spots running across the country. But Rogers Pass with, you know, the incredible snowpack that's still up there this year. It's so white up on top of these mountains. Uh, that's in British Columbia. Um, you know, running down the St. Lawrence in Quebec and amongst all those old, old Catholic towns. I mean, it's stunning and beautiful. And, um, you know, all these roads that, that, that neighbor the, the ocean for a long period of time and these big, beautiful lakes and these colored you know, kind of jelly bean homes, you know, mm-hmm. all throughout uh, St. John's and, and Newfoundland. I mean, it's one of those things right now that I'm still trying to process because of my mental state with running across the country. Um, I was very much a machine head out there and I didn't allow myself that was outside of the vault time to process because it would take up a lot of space. So you weren't there as a sightseer. You were there as a as a runner to break the Trans Canadian speed record. But now I sit still and I um, now process all of the things that I've seen, and it literally brings a tear to my eye just how beautiful my country is. Mm. So here's a question I'm sure people would would love to hear you speak to. We have a lot of folks listening to the podcast who might be trying to get through their first marathon, or we have some people trying to get through their first ultra and it really sucks. It's hard. They feel like quitting. They feel like sitting down. Don't know how they can go further. What would you say to people uh, going through a moment like that? Like, how do you get through moments like that? I think that we all need to realize that we're all the same, you know, that we all have the relative same DNA and the same programming, that we're the dominant species on this planet for a reason, because mm. we're survivalists. Number one, like we are the dominant species on this planet because we're programmed to all listen to the lie that we tell ourselves. We, we tell ourselves a lie that would tell us that always survival is more important than the reward. And that when things get hard, every message in your brain, every, every part of your human programming tells you to turtle. It tells you to stop. And it gives you so many reasons and so many exit doors, you know, announcing that you're in significant trouble here and you should quit. You should stop. But we've all quit and stopped during a marathon and then instantly regretted it right away because 
we listen to the lie, the lie that we tell ourselves. Hmm. I think that we truly have to believe and understand that every message that we've ever told ourselves that we convince ourselves is a, is a truth, you know, either goes back to survival or procreation. And yet, you know, we have to talk ourselves out from those things in order to do great things and to have the reward in the end. And so many, many, many times for a very long period of time, when I was running across Canada, I had tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of those messages that were coming into my mind. But you need to call BS on them because you are telling yourself a lie and that you're okay. If you're, if you're not okay, believe me, you, you would know. If you're mm-hmm. 35 kilometers or, or 22 miles into your marathon and you're in significant trouble, you're going to know. You're going to end up in the hospital. You, sh- you will be in the hospital at that point. If you're not in the hospital, you're fine. Relax. <laughs> you know, take a deep breath and understand that this lie that we tell ourselves, we've been telling ourselves for a very, very long period of time and that we yeah. understand that, you know, that we're living to, to, to fight another day. But, but what about today? Why not fight today? Why not go and really truly surprise yourself and understand that by the time that you're telling yourself these lies, you're only like 60% done. Like you're nowhere even close. So relax, take a deep breath, call yourself out on your own BS, own it that, you know, we all do this and you do this, but are you going to listen or are you not? And make today be the day that you don't listen. That's great stuff. You've referenced your vault throughout this interview. If you had to just define that, simply define like what is the vault idea and how can long distance runners use it? Yeah, I I think it's it's anybody in life, mostly long distance runners, because we're voluntarily doing this. I mean, you know, there's difficult things we all have to do in life. You know, I tomorrow could get a cancer diagnosis and well, geez, I didn't sign up for that. I didn't pay, you know, 250 mm. bucks to, to run that marathon. Um, <laughs> but, you know, on the other hand, what serves you in, in what moment and what doesn't serve you in what moment? And so there is a time in my life where sensitivity and paying attention to your feelings and emotions is important as a father, as a partner, as a you know business person or whatever. But then there's also a time where it does not serve you. And at what point do you walk into your vault, understand what needs to be in the vault with you in order to get through this and understand what need, what should not be within your vault, that the things mostly that you create, but also all the externalities in the world, right? You know, the things that, um, the concerns that, that you need not concern yourself with during that marathon. And understand what they are, put them outside the vault and lock the vault, lock yourself within it. And don't allow yourself to have those thoughts, feelings, emotions, the things that you don't need to pay attention to that only really take up negative space in your mind. And, you know, also have a tremendous amount of trust. And this is where I end up having all my crew members, Lana Ray, my crew chief, she took care of all of those externalities outside the vault. And I trusted her. So that I could be locked inside that vault with the things that I needed to concern myself with. And ultimately, those things within the vault led me to not ever doubt myself, always led me to you know, hoist my level of self-worth that I was worthy of this own, my own level of suffering. And there were very few things that were there, but when you put them all together, they create an unsha- unshakable runner. And I, I feel that that was mm. the success of of this run across Canada. So calling into question what serves you and what does not serve you. 
And in running, there will be a point in time where those questions will come up, but don't have them beside you. Have them outside the vault that they do not enter the vault. Yeah, I like that. I remember a quote by Dina Castor. She says, find a thought that serves you better. And Mm. (laughs) that's, I think that's, Mm. you know, pretty powerful. It's kind of what you're talking about there. Like in that moment, you don't need all those external thoughts in there with you. You just need to kind of, in a way, shut up and keep running. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Did you listen to music a lot of the days you were out there? I did at the beginning. I listened to a lot of audiobooks. I listened to some podcasts and some music. And since my head injury, um, I found that it really hurt my head in order to listen to music or even, you know, people talking or audiobooks or anything. So I found that after day 40, I listened to very little music. Uh, the only music I kind of listened to was classical music, um, which would calm me. Um, I found that there wasn't a lot going on there. So it was it was definitely igniting a certain part of my brain that you know needed to be ignited at that time. Um, but before that, yeah, you know, I found myself getting a bit bored at times. And so you play music and you do the air guitar running down the highway and it's, it's, (laughs) it's awesome. Uh, until it just, it, it hurts your head. See, that's what Angie says about my music. (laughs) She can only tolerate it for like a minute. That's why earbuds were invented. (laughs) No doubt. So I guess one final question about your run, how's the recovery going? It's only been like what, two weeks since you've done this. It's only been two weeks. I've gained a lot of the weight back. I believe I lost 18 pounds, which I thought I was going to be losing a lot more than that. I wasn't heavy to begin with, but I became pretty spindly out there. You know, I I end up having an MRI today. My foot and ankle are pretty messed up. I left that pain outside my vault as well, too. Um, It didn't serve me to to pay attention to to that. Um, But now that you're done, you really need to pay attention to it. And so it's Mm -hmm. pretty, pretty broken. I'm in an air cast right now. Um, and so, but Hey, it's totally worth the price of admission. Um, like I, I, I I totally, you know, when it comes to recovery, you know, there's the physical body, which we understand. We're like, wow. Okay. We understand a lot about that, but locking yourself in your vault for 67 days, there's very much a mental recovery that takes place thereafter. And also, you know, an emotional recovery that takes place. At times during the last two weeks, I'll be very frustrated where I should be happy. And then I'm really excited and joyous when I should be angry. And everything's kind of turned on its head. Um, It's getting better week to week or day to day, mostly with sleep and Mm -hmm. being kind to myself and not having those expectations of myself that I just need to hammer through this and get through this and and being tough. Um, Right now is a time to be soft Mm -hmm. and to be kind to myself. Because I know that the kinder that I am to myself, the tougher I can be later. And yeah, I'm not done. I, I want to do some great big things. I learned a lot throughout all of this. I want to take on some pretty big, hairy, audacious goals. But for now, my goal is to heal my bones and my soft tissues, my brain, and and more so my soul. Because mm. this took everything out of me. And, and I, I really don't have a lot to give right now. Mm. And that's good to know about yourself that you can like, you know, throw your energy, your, your main goal is to healing and eventually coming back stronger um, as a, you know, holistic person. I, I find that this, you know, just go hardcore heavy metal all the time. Hey, it works for a period of time, but then you need kindness and softness. Sometimes you just need to sit in a room and cry. And that's cool too. Some of the strongest people I know are strong with a sense of vulnerability they let that happen and then they get to work. You know, you push that aside and then you 
you choose strength again. Definitely. Yeah, I appreciate all the vulnerability and what you've been willing to share and the just the massive amount of value you've provided for our listeners uh, and the frameworks that we really appreciate it. And if folks want to find you online and follow you online, where can we send them? Yeah, uh, at Instagram at runproctor is probably the best place. And, you know, I don't have an athlete's page or anything on, on Facebook because I, I don't really don't consider myself an athlete. I'm just a, a jogger who likes to do hard things. Um, but yeah, my <laughs> personal Facebook page is, is Dave Proctor. Um, I'm not on okay. Twitter and I'm too old for all the other new you know, platforms. So <laughs> awesome. Uh, yes. Thank you so much for taking this time with us. It's, it's been an honor to talk to you and huge congratulations on what you accomplished. Right. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with ultra runner Dave Proctor. Angie, when he was talking about feeling different pain and stuff as he ran, uh, he was having issues, I guess, with, with his foot. But that wasn't allowed inside the vault. His mission was to run to the coast. And it's kind of an extreme mentality, and maybe that's why most people don't run across Canada. But <laughs> I think that's what it takes. And it reminded me of we had another ultra runner on the podcast actually a couple times Uh, Marshall Ulrich ran across the United States from coast to coast when he was in his 50s. And he has that story about disowning his foot. Remember that? Yeah, I do. Because he was doing, you know, like 50, 70 miles a day and his foot started having a lot of pain. He says, you know what? As soon as my foot uh, wants to cooperate and get on board with the mission, I will allow it to be part of the body again. But until then, I'm just going to ignore it. Well, definitely sounds like Dave succeeded with his mind vault method because, of course, he set the record. And then after getting back home, he did have an MRI of the foot that was bothering him. It turns out that he does have a fracture in his foot. And so he's in a walking boot right now. But, you know, to him, it was worth it to be able to accomplish that long held goal of his. Yeah, I guess we should say that we don't recommend running on a fracture. <laughs> That's right. It just kind of shows you like the extreme lengths that someone needs to go to if you're going to be running 100 kilometers a day and the type of mindset shift. And two, what he was saying about our hardwiring from evolution, that we're basically wired and programmed to survive and to procreate. We were not programmed to run marathons for fun. So our minds and our bodies try to, as he says, it lied to us, shut us down to preserve energy and make it seem like we can't go on when really we can. So there's so many great tips I think that I'm going to leave with after that conversation and uh, use next time I'm trying to get through a 20 miler or something. That's right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you for being a listener. And if we can help you in any way, please reach out. You can find us at marathontrainingacademy.com. And remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my way, right on my-